In the world we live in today, it's easy sometimes to lose heart. You know what I mean by lose heart? It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to just begin to think, what's the point? For some of us who are followers of Jesus, we hear a song like the one we just heard. We said, yes, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Others of us hear a song like that and we think, well, I'm glad your goodness is running after me, but I sure wish it would catch up with me. I wish it'd catch me, right? Because it's hard sometimes in this world. We read or watch the news, whatever you get your news source. We hear about wars around the world, crime here at home. We get bad reports about the economy, bad reports about the environment. And those governmental leaders that we put into place that are supposed to do something about it fight and bicker with one another. And it's just so ugly. It is easy to lose heart in this world that we live in. And all those things are really external things that are far away. Individually, we face difficulties. Difficulties with our health. The loss of loved ones. Relational problems. Relational disputes. Not just with enemies, but with friends who are close to us. Problems in our marriage. Problems between parents and kids. Those economic problems are not always so far away. When inflation happens, our paycheck doesn't go quite as far. Some of us have lost jobs. It is easy to lose heart in this world that we live in. Is there anything we can do about that? Is there anything we can do to not lose heart? Jesus says that there is something that we can do. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Uh, feel free to use your phone. I'm sure uh, that you have a Bible on there someplace or can find one. If not, we'll have the words on the screen. But I'm turning to Luke chapter 18 as we continue in a sermon series we've been in called Parables, How Jesus Told Stories to Shape Our Minds. And we've learned in this sermon series that these parables, that in these parables, that Jesus uses short stories to answer the big questions of life. And today in this story, Jesus tells, Jesus acknowledges that it's easy to lose heart in the world that we live in. But he also tells us something that we can do about it. That there's something we can do to keep from losing heart. So before I read verses 1 through 8 here of Luke chapter 18, I just want to point one thing out to you. Maybe this is a hard thing for you to hear. It's hard to name the difficulties in the world. For some of us, we've grown up in a family, or maybe you grew up in a church that didn't really acknowledge the bad things that were going wrong in the world. You didn't really acknowledge hurt or pain. It would be a bad witness uh, to, to grieve if you were a Christian. Or maybe you were sent that message by your family that, that we're just going to be happy all the time. We're going to put on a happy face and we're not going to acknowledge the hurt and the pain and the injustice in our world. Maybe it makes it hard for you to hear this sermon because that's the background you come from. I just want to say to you, Jesus does not take that view. We will see in this story he tells that Jesus acknowledges hurt and pain and injustice. And there are times in the scripture that Jesus wept over the condition of the world and the people around him. 
And because we are followers of Jesus here at Redeemer Church, we want Redeemer Church to be a place that we can name those difficulties. That yes, we want to rejoice of the faithfulness of God and the good things he has done, but we also want to be real and name that there is pain and there is hurt and there is injustice, not just out there, but in this room as we come and gather together. So with that word, let's read uh, the story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. I'm going to pray for us and we'll dig in together. Luke chapter 18 beginning in verse 1. And he told them, that's Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father... We're gathered here together now, as you have called us to do. We sit now before your word, and we ask that you would use it now to speak to us. That you would speak so that we would not lose heart in this world that we live in. Please come and show us how that is possible. For many of us, we don't even believe that that's possible. Would you come and teach us and show us? I ask that you'd be willing to do so even here, even now, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We've said it's easy to lose heart in this world that we live in. Is there anything we can do about it? Is there anything we can do to avoid losing heart? And Jesus says that there is. And the first thing he's, we've already started talking about, number one, how do we do that? Number one, acknowledge the hurt and pain and injustice in the world. Number one, let us, let's acknowledge the hurt and the pain and the injustice in the world and in our own lives. You see, when we ignore those things, we can grow tired of living a lie. We can grow tired of denying the reality. And we begin to just say, what's the point? And we lose heart. Notice Jesus does not do that. He names the hurt and the pain and the injustice in the world. Think about the, the story that he tells. In verse 3, he introduces us to this widow. And if she's a widow, that means she has lost a loved one. In fact, the closest loved one to her. If she had a good marriage, she's lost her best friend. She's lost companionship. She's lost status in the culture in which she lived. It was a difficult thing to be a widow in this particular time, in this particular place. 
She's suffering from the loss of dreams. No doubt she and her husband had dreams about what their life would be like, and those dreams have died. Life has not gone the way that she thought it was going to go. Maybe you relate to that, and you feel that as you sit here today. But this woman, as a widow, has probably also lost income. The one that, that was the breadwinner for her, she's also lost protection. And not only that, but she's being opposed, Jesus says in verse 3, by an adversary. She's asking for just Someone has wronged her. Someone is oppressing her. Right? Someone is taking advantage of her in this vulnerable condition. And in verse 2, Jesus introduces us to a judge. In verse 6, he calls him an unrighteous judge because this judge does not fear God and he doesn't care what people think, right? This judge, the fact that he doesn't fear God means that he doesn't believe that there's a world to come. He doesn't believe that he's going to be accountable for his actions. He doesn't believe that there's a judge higher than him that judges unjust judges. That he doesn't believe there's one who judges rightly. And he doesn't care what people think. He has power, and he will use it how he wants to use it because he can. And he refuses to give justice to this widow. And think about that. Now, Jesus is so honest here. Think about what he is saying. (laughs) Jesus is saying there are unjust judges in the world that don't give justice to people who deserve it. Jesus is saying there are broken systems in the world. That there are systems in this world that God created for good that people misuse. And because of the misuse of these systems, some reject these systems. I think of things like Jesus talks about here, the justice system can be abused. I think of other things. We mentioned the the government that we live under. Government was created by God, Romans 13. To punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. And sometimes the government does not work the way it is supposed to work. The church that God put here for the building up of the saints and for the calling of people. Sometimes people in the church abuse the power and the position that they have. Marriage, an institution created by God to mirror what he is like, the relationship between he and his bride, the church, for the procreation, for the carrying on of his name, for the glory of God. He created marriage. And that is abused sometimes by the people and are misused by people in marriages. So there are these systems that God created for good. And because of the misuse, some people reject those systems that God created for good. But the misuse of something is no argument against its proper use. There's a Latin phrase for that. We can share that at the back door if you're a Latin fan. But the answer to broken systems that God created is not rejection of the system. It is redemption of the system. It's God's people crying out day and night for justice, as Jesus says here in verse 7. 
So this judge is refusing to give her justice. This widow is appealing to those who are supposed to make things right and they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And Jesus is so real about that loss and about that pain and about that evil. And if you believe that this world is all that there is, then it is hopeless. And we can get demoralized. The right response is, what is the point? And it makes sense to lose heart. But notice Jesus acknowledges hurt and pain and injustice in the world here. He acknowledges that it exists, yet Jesus is talking about a way to acknowledge those things exist, yet not lose heart. So evidently that's possible. What is it? What is it that Jesus says? Now listen, I'm going to mention what it is, and if you're cynical, you're going to think, well, how could that possibly? We'll talk about it, okay? But the next thing Jesus says is prayer and faith. Prayer, I'm going to take them together because I think he means them together. You see in verse 1 that we're supposed to pray and not lose heart. At the end, he says, will he find faith on the earth? In verse 7, he was saying that God will give justice to those who cry out. That's prayer, crying out to God day and night. So it's, it's prayer and it's faith. Let's talk about those two things and how they work together. Prayer is an expression of faith. It's just the outward working of faith. So these things go together. And notice in verse 1, when Jesus is telling this parable, he's telling it why? Telling it to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus has two categories. <laughs> there are those who always pray, and there are those who lose heart. Those are the categories, right? So if we're always praying, we're not losing heart. And if we're losing heart, we're not always praying. Those are the two categories. Jesus seems to see that there's some relationship between praying, between expressing our faith, and not losing heart. Well, that kind of begs the question, doesn't it? What is it about prayer that keeps us from losing heart? How could that be? How is prayer the answer to the question we have been asking how does that work? Well, prayer is an expression of our faith. And in prayer, we acknowledge that there is a spiritual world. In prayer, we acknowledge that there is a world that we do not see. In prayer, we are acknowledging that this world is not all that there is. In prayer, we acknowledge that there is a God because we're crying out to him. And that this God who exists is in control of things in this world. We cry out to him because we believe he can make a difference. Prayer acknowledges that there is a righteous judge who will judge the unjust judges of the world. Do you know why pain and hurt and injustice in this world bothers you so much? It's because you were made for the perfection of Eden before sin came into the world. And you were made in the image of a God who is good and just. 
And prayer is an acknowledgement of that God. Listen, don't believe the lie that somehow you're more righteous than God is. There are some people who are mad at God because of the bad things in the world. And, and the subtext of that is, I am more righteous than God. If I had the power he had, I would do things differently than he would do them. Don't believe the lie that you are more righteous, that you are more good, that you are more holy than God. Prayer is an acknowledgement of that God who is good and just and right. How can the imperfect find fault with the timing of the perfect? Prayer acknowledges that we have faith in God. And this faith in him keeps us from losing hope. Because if there is a God like that, then there is hope. Prayer is an acknowledgement. It's an expression of our faith about who God is. That our God is not an unjust judge, but he's a loving father. The whole point of the parable Jesus is making is this, that if a wicked judge will sometimes make things right, even for the wrong reasons, just to get her to leave him alone, if an unjust judge will make things right sometimes, even for the wrong reasons, how much more will a holy, righteous, loving father make things right for his children? So we don't lose heart. Because we know the day is coming that our Father will make all things right. That's what he says there in verse 7, right? Will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. That's the promise and the hope that we have. It seems too long to us. Listen, if that's where you are, I feel you. I am always impatient with God. His timing is seldom my timing. But his timing is perfect. And his ways are right. So we always pray, and we do not lose hope. And we can endure in this difficult day because we know a day is coming when no more will there be injustice, when no more will there be crying or mourning or pain. We endure in this day because we know the day is coming when death will be no more. And if that doesn't give you hope, if that doesn't make your heart sing that that day is coming, then perhaps you haven't acknowledged the hurt and the pain and the injustice that it is in the world. Go back to step one, right? But to see that in the ugliness and know that God is coming to make it right gives us great hope. So prayer is an expression of our faith about who God is. Prayer is also a confession about who we are, right? When we pray and we're crying out to God day and night, that says something about us as well, right? That we're God's children, that he has adopted for his very own. Some of you who are theologically minded probably look at verse 7 and are like, what's he going to say about elect? Will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Your translation may say, will he not give justice to his chosen ones, I think the uh, NIV says. What that means is that God has children who are his. You can read about it in Ephesians chapter 1. 
that before the foundation of the world, that God set his love and affection on his children. And he set everything in the world up so that they would come to him and be adopted into his family. And that God loves his children and he's for his children. He sets his, his affection on his children. And we belong to him. And here Jesus is saying, Woe to the one who accuses or abuses or misuses a child of the living God. We talk about mama bears in our culture, and I think that's real. I've seen it before. I've experienced it, right? You've seen that phenomenon. But I want you to know that mama bear phenomenon, that is just a, shudder to say, pale reflection of the love that our Father has for us and how he will act on behalf of his children. Prayer is an expression of our faith about who we are, that we are God's children, that we cry out to a loving Father. But it's interesting, in verse 3, Jesus uses the symbol, the one that we're supposed to, to emulate, to be like, who's crying out day and night. He uses the symbol of a widow. That's interesting that he would put that in his story, isn't it? Because a widow is a symbol of helplessness. She has no money to bribe the judge. She has no social status to demand any kind of partial treatment. She has no protector to threaten brute force. She brings nothing to the table. She has nothing to offer. She's totally dependent on the judge to make things right. And her helplessness makes her persistent. He was her only hope. So she is doggedly determined to latch on to her only hope. Do you see yourself that way? It's what Jesus is saying in verse 7 when he says that his children, his chosen ones, his elect should cry out day and night clinging to our only hope. That we have no other sources to depend on. That is the view Jesus is calling us to have. Now that reveals a lot about our own hearts. It really tells us why we don't always pray and we do lose heart. It's because we don't see ourselves like the widow as helpless and dependent. We don't see God as our only hope. You know, I'm preaching, and I mean, I hear preachers preach, you know, you should just pray without ceasing. It actually says that in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, if you want to look it up. The verse is pray without ceasing. That's it, right? We should pray all the time. It's like, that's impossible. I can't do that. Really? You get an incurable uh, uh, diagnosis from your doctor, you'll start praying all the time. You have a child who's lost. You have a child you can't find. Last week after the baptism, there was a kid we couldn't account for. We were looking for. We're praying. You have a kid who's sick and there's nobody that can do anything. You pray. You know, when we come to the end of ourselves and we realize we're desperate, we have no trouble praying all the time. Which leads us to this conclusion in our thinking. Our biggest problem is not our prayerlessness. 
Our biggest problem is that we have faith in ourselves and in things other than God. It's that faith piece of prayer and faith that we really struggle with. We're putting our faith in other things. If I lose my job, I think I can fix it. If my kids act out, I think I can fix it. I'll read some books. I'll talk to some other people. I'll Google it. And all those are wise things to do. But when we rely on those things and we don't go to the Lord in prayer, we don't see our dependence on Him. Whenever something goes wrong, I think I can fix it with my intellect and my resources and my experience and my relational skills and my network. Then we're not listening to what Jesus says. Remember John 15 in verse 5. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, you can bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Our biggest problem is not our prayerlessness. Our biggest problem is that we have faith in ourselves and we have faith in other things besides God. And if you think I've gotten off topic, if you think I'm chasing a rabbit that I've just gone from preaching to meddling at this point, read verse 9. Read the next thing that happens. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Oh my, maybe we're right on the train of thought Jesus had. And if you want to know more about that next parable, I actually preached it on July 24th. And if I start talking about it, I'll preach a whole other sermon again, and you don't want that. So go back wherever you listen to your podcasts, look up Redeemer Shoals, and you can go back to July 24th is when I preached on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. But let me land the plane on this sermon instead of starting another one. Somebody say amen. All right. We've been saying that in the world we live in, it is easy to lose heart. And we're asking, is there anything we can do to avoid losing heart? And Jesus has said, yes, that there is. And Jesus said, number one, acknowledge the hurt and pain and injustice in your world. That when we ignore it, we grow tired of living a lie. We get tired of denying reality. We begin to get cynical and just say, what's the point? And we lose heart. And we see here in his parable that Jesus acknowledges hurt and pain and injustice in the world. And we begin to, listen to me, we begin to overcome losing heart when we begin to name things rightly. So listen to me, church. Let's be honest, okay? Let's just be honest. Following Jesus does not mean all our problems go away. Jesus never promised us heaven on earth now as we follow him. Let's be honest with that and name that, that there is evil, that there is injustice, that there is hurt, and that there is pain in this world, and we feel it acutely. Let's look at the world and name it for what it is. That's number one. But then number two, we respond with prayer and with faith because our prayers are an expression of who our God is. And our prayer is a confession of who we are. Listen to me. We can all pray. It doesn't matter if you're bedridden in a hospital, if you're locked up in a jail. We can all pray. We can cry out to God as an expression of our faith. We can name the pain and name the injustice. And we can have faith that God can hear us when we cry out. 
And we can have faith that God can fix what is wrong. And we can, by our prayers, show our faith that God will come and fix what is wrong. And knowing that glorious day will come helps us to endure in this difficult day. It's so interesting where Jesus ends here in verse 8. He ends with this call to faith. Will the Son of Man find faith when he comes? But he calls himself the Son of Man. I want to leave you with that image because that's where Jesus ends this story to shape our minds. And some, when they hear Jesus say Son of Man, they just think, well, he's talking about he's, he's a guy, he's a, he's a man, he's a dude, he's a Son of Man, right? But to Jesus' hearers, the Son of Man had a very specific meaning. Because if you read in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, there's this place where Daniel, who's a prophet in the Old Testament, is given visions about what is to come in the future. And he has this vision about the Ancient of Days, which is obviously God the Father. And in Daniel 7, in verse 13, we read Daniel saying, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. This is what Jesus is referring to. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is saying, I am that Son of Man. And that's how I can assure you that these things will happen, that God will grant justice on the earth. Because Jesus is that Son of Man. And then he backed up what he said by rising from the dead and sending his Spirit to live in us. Jesus is saying here that he is that Son of Man who will come with the clouds of heaven with all authority to judge and all power to make all things right. And because that day is coming... How ought we to live now? Jesus ends with this call to faith and to consider the faith that we have. He's saying, will I find faith on the earth? He's saying, consider what your faith is like. And so I want to encourage you to do that today. To think, are you like the unjust judge? Maybe you're not a judge that commits injustice, but do you just live life like God's not there? Like there's not a righteous judge that you're going to have to give an account to that you don't care what people think, that you just live the way you want to live. Is that what your life looks like? Or are you like the Pharisee who trusted in himself and in all the Bible verses he knew and all the wisdom he had and in his tradition and in all the good things he could do? Are you like that? You don't pray because you trust in those things. No wonder we lose heart. Or are you more like the widow and this tax collector, totally dependent on the one with power to act, desperately crying out day and night for him to make all things right? Listen, even if you're honest with yourself and you conclude you're an unjust judge or a Pharisee, there is still time to see that you've been wrong and to name that and to cry out in faith to God. Because God hears the cries of his people. And God will send his son to make all things right. 
Therefore, we should persist in praying for God's kingdom to come. Let's pray and do that now. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that there's a way that we cannot lose heart in this world that we live in. And for some of us, when we hear that the answer to that is prayer and faith, we don't think that we can get there, that we can cry out to you because we don't have faith. Father, I confess that faith is a gift from you, and we ask you now that you would give it to your people. Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Please come and help us to have faith in who you are and who you say that we are so that we might not lose hope in this world but we may live with the assurance that a day is coming that you will make all things right. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.